back in October last year. I ventured into the Hilton Hotel in Sydney and attended the RSM Health, Business and Technology Conference. So RSM hosted a similar event in Sydney and in Melbourne in that week. I attended the Sydney one. And at that event, I recorded some interviews with speakers. So in this episode today, you'll hear three guests and I'll introduce them to you in a second. Two of them I actually shared the stage with in a panel conversation at this event as well, which you'll hear us reference in those discussions. So this event hosted by RSM, it was all about the role of technology in healthcare. And at the event, we discussed the potential benefits of modern innovations, techniques and data analysis in healthcare, but also the need for improved security measures to protect sensitive patient data. So cybersecurity is very much on the radar of a lot of people today, particularly in health. So in this episode, you're going to hear from Charlie Farrar, Senior Director at Click, Catherine Bronger, General Manager of ChemistWorks Group, and Roshan Fernandez, Information Security and Risk Manager at Western Sydney Local Health District. So Charlie, he talks about the seven habits of a data-driven healthcare organisation and the importance for us to focus on the people and the processes involved in a transformation journey, not just the technology. When I speak to Catherine, you'll hear about the impact of COVID-19 on pharmacies and the importance of technology in adapting to changing consumer expectations. Lastly, in my chat with Roshan Fernandez, Information Security and Risk Manager at Western Sydney Local Health District, where he discussed the importance of cybersecurity in healthcare. So here we go. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. This is uh, Charlie Farrar from Click Australia. Charlie, just saw you present up on stage. Talk to me about what you went through today. Yeah, I took uh, the audience through what I feel or what we found to be the seven habits of a data-driven healthcare organisation. Technology organisations feel that technology is the answer, but we understand that and appreciate that it's really the people and the process that are really key to any transformation journey and success in that journey. So some habits that um, some of our luminary customers from around the world have adopted themselves and trying to share some of those learnings to, to the audience. Yeah. So often when you think about anything technology related, it's you can spend so much time thinking about the systems and the tools and the features and the benefits and then the people element is just seen afterwards as an implementation stage and, and it's it's probably the most important step out of out of all of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the biggest learnings that I found having come from healthcare myself, public healthcare, is when we undertook our commence our journey, we made a conscious decision to move the business intelligence or the performance portfolio outside of the IT portfolio. And it wasn't as a, um, an attack or an offence to IT, but we just understood they were so busy. They have so many other programs, technologies, processes to manage. That business intelligence and analytics is always almost an afterthought of that. It was just a subset of a function for them. Yes. So we created a, a whole new portfolio around business intelligence, analytics, performance, to really reinvigorate its presence uh, and its importance across the organisation. And then that way it became a almost like a, a T2 under the chief executive. So people took a lot more notice. It became much more important. Uh, us reaching out to the business to get them engaged was much more widely accepted because it had a dedicated program and a dedicated path 
to trying to find some success for the organization. Well, it's such an important aspect to, you know, every decision needs the data behind it. So having it as a dedicated function, it hopefully would help things progress within an organization, particularly one within a public health setting too. Yeah. Um, in terms of data and healthcare, what are you seeing in your role with you know, your clients involved in healthcare about the most important things that people want to see. We're, we're not short of data in healthcare at the moment. How no. do you kind of make sense of some of that noise? Yeah, I think it's really about understanding where the, the priorities for a, a district or a health service or a health provider, whatever they might they may be, and um, understanding doing a almost like a value engineering or a, a survey of some sort across your business to understand what is the biggest priority and, and have a, a roadmap as to where the best bang for buck is going to be met. A lot of times organisations come up and they have all these competing priorities at the one time and they invest you know, 5%, 10% across all these rather than and not getting very far with any of them. So it's around having some more strategic focus around what are the priorities that you need to uh, uh, invest in uh, immediately, build those out, get some success, and then eventually come up with a roadmap to achieve those. Having executive support is obviously key to some of that as well. So people taking some ownership and some responsibility around other people buying into that process as well. So they're you know breaking down some of those silos, etc. But yeah, understanding what may be a, you know the low hanging fruit, what are the big ticket items, and then identifying what resources you need to achieve those and. and going after it one by one rather than trying to do lots of things yep. at the same time. What's the saying? Like a thousand miles wide and two inches deep. It's yeah. uh, focus on those key, a few key things and, and build from there. And it's like that habit forming thing that you mentioned as well. They, the, you know, uh, aligning with the book Atomic Habits. It's, you know, everything builds and it compounds and uh, that ties in nicely with your presentation there. Any other final thoughts or, or points or things that you hope that uh, people attending the session today will take away or people listening to the podcast might think about when thinking about data and healthcare? I think um, uh, it's come up a few times today is, is uh, don't wait for perfect to act. I think, uh, I think Voltaire says the best in years is like, you know, best can get in the way of good. So you really just want to get better at what you do. And then, you know, BI programs and analytics programs are supposed to be, um, you know, they're supposed to evolve over time. They're not supposed to be a one-off investment. You know, you might build a, a dashboard now that has a certain number of, you know, elements to it that provides a certain function, but as the system and the tools and the users become more sophisticated and comfortable, they'll have other questions that you can then add onto it. So they're agile, they continue to grow and scale out rather than so thinking of it that way. So start small, you might learn to crawl before you walk, before you run, uh, before you sprint. So I like to use that analogy across mm. uh, analytics as well. Just get amongst it. Yep, exactly. Nice. If you've been kicking around this industry a bit like me, or maybe even you're brand new to digital health, you've probably worked out that health tech is not an individual sport. Whatever you're trying to achieve, whether you're delivering healthcare for patients, or you're building health technology, or perhaps you're helping deploy solutions across health systems, you need a tribe, a community of like-minded individuals who just get it that if we're going to transform healthcare, then technology is going to play a huge part in it. So to learn and connect about health tech and level up your game, consider joining our THT Plus membership community. 
We've got options for every stage of growth, whether you're a solo individual or a startup or scale-up company. As an individual, you get access to our exclusive community forum, you get a warm intro to two other members from me each month, you get free access to our quarterly virtual summits and a bunch of other exclusive goodies. Companies can bring team members into the community, plus you get a presence on our website as a THT Plus member, you can post content like news events and jobs, and of course we love to showcase our members, so when you join as a company THT Plus member, you'll get to appear on this podcast with your very own episode. This podcast is made possible through the support of our members. It's literally the heart of everything we do. So consider joining as a THT Plus member. You can join anytime online. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash THT Plus. My name's Catherine Bronger and I run a group of pharmacies called Chemist Works and I've had a newly established Australian pharmaceutical technologies company. So it's great to have you at this event today. We're going to be going on stage together shortly. Tell me about this panel session that we're doing after this chat. Look, I I know Peter for a long time who asked me to come on board and talk about technology. So we've really gone through the process and really what pushed me a lot from a community pharmacy perspective, if we have a pharmacy that my family's owned for 40 years out in southwest Sydney and we were right in the heart of the pandemic. Mm. So it's a fairly big store. We have about 80 staff members out there and we got hit by the pandemic so if you remember the Thai rock restaurant that was right next door to where we were and all of a sudden we went straight into lockdown and during that time the government put electronic prescriptions and vaccinations into the realm which was huge systemic changes that were occurring as well and we got to the point where the exposures were so frequent and proliferant and we were there for a long time and we were really sorry in the early stages of it that we actually couldn't even have customers come into the store for about a month. And for a big pharmacy that's a 1,000 square metres, that's a really big deal. So we just found ourselves pretty much on our knees, operating very much through emergency sort of ramifications. And so what it then set me on is a journey to actually start to look at a lot of the different pieces of technology out there and how we can actually make the workflow much easier much simpler and really integrate all these changes that had occurred because I knew that post-pandemic that consumers' expectations would just change. They were used to QR codes. They were used to shopping online. They expected information in where their orders and their deliveries were. They wanted access and be central to the health information. They wanted to control their own destinies as well and they were going to be much more informed and that's really what set me on that journey in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> well, and, and it's no, a great story. And, and particularly being in the heart of it there in southwest Sydney. I'm from southwest Sydney as well, so I, I, I know it well. Interesting that you bring up the whole point around deliveries because, you know, as I understand, if you're, if you're running a pharmacy, all of a sudden now a, a, a big piece of your arsenal now involves the ability to efficiently organise delivery of medication, which is not something you've, you've had to do before. Am I, am I getting that right? Well, to be honest with you, pharmacies have always delivered. So most pharmacies, we've always had delivery and often that's our staff members will do deliveries or we've got external companies that do deliveries, Mm -hmm. but it's probably not really well known, right? So as a consumer, Mm. our good customers know they can call up, order their prescription and that we'll have it delivered to them. But that's not in that virtual world. There's no actual way that people can see that online and order it online. And so actually we've been 
holding the best kept secret from from consumers and I and they would just don't accept that post pandemic and what you refer to is actually during the pandemic the federal health actually came out to help subsidize a lot of those deliveries particularly in lockdown as well which is finished up but I think people now know and are looking for it. I was going to say that, that do you see that in real life in terms of consumer expectation we talked about it a lot you know in the midst of the pandemic where you know, telehealth consults, e-prescribing and more of these consumerized style um, healthcare delivery. Are people's expectations now that they'll be able to, to receive medications by ordering it from an app and getting it delivered or, and doing things that are a bit more efficient or will we just flick back to the way things were in inverted commas? Well, I think really interesting is that the actual e-commerce of pharmacy is less, in pharmaceuticals is less than other areas of online shopping, which I find really interesting, right? And also one of our understandings is that people still like the option in pharmacy to click and collect to pick it up, right? But then if they have it delivered, then it's got to be when they're at home, right? No one wants their pharmaceutical sitting on the doorstep and not knowing where it is, particularly when it's... So I think there's all these learnings that we're starting to realise and these consumer, you know, expectations that are occurring a lot more um, for it. Look, I think that one thing that we do well in community pharmacy is that when people walk through the door, they have easy access to healthcare advice, right? And we know that. We know that pharmacy is the most accessible healthcare. You can walk in, you can ask about a cold and flu, you can you can know whether you need to be referred to the doctor for a common ailment, but we never see any of that online either. I mean, it's really only products that are sold in pharmacy online. So I think, again, you know, the best kept secret for pharmacy is the fact that we're pretty much central and referral pathways to other healthcare professionals as well. And so I think what I'm really looking at doing in our businesses as well is it's not just products, it's not just e-scripts, but it's also what does that telehealth look like for community pharmacy and then how can that involve and work with the doctors so that consumer gets a good health outcome that is convenient to them. There's absolutely a place for that. And I think that this whole conversation around how much healthcare should be delivered within a pharmacy or a GP, the industry can debate and discuss it, but in the end, consumers are the ones that decide where it happens. And quite often, consumers go to a pharmacist because it's the easiest way to to get good quality advice and, and get the outcome they need. Yeah, so absolutely. in the end, we have to respond to what, what consumers are going to do. And it should be their decision, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think the whole point of centralised patient care and is the consumer having that choice, right? And that it's not—it's now, I think, we move into a world where it's not the GPs that you make the decisions for the patients, right? It's not the allied health. It's not the pharmacist. It's about that consumer having enough information to make their own decisions on their healthcare needs. And I think that's what patients will expect of us. And that's what we need to really look at delivering into the future. Hey, last thing, the panel discussion that we've got today, we're talking a bit about the healthcare data technology and innovation, anticipation, execution and risks. What are you hoping that attendees of this sessions will get out of the panel that we are participating in? Well, I had a conversation with yourself who's on the panel and Charlie beforehand and I actually think we come from such different backgrounds that I'm just interested in having a really interesting discussion between us all. Um, I think quite often 
you know, I was I'm not a, to see what you were going to say. I'm not a data person, right? And I'm not, I'm not really a tech person, but I'm a pharmacist. Yeah. And I think, I think that's where technology becomes really interesting is that when different minds apply different perspectives. Yeah. So I hope we're just going to have a really interesting discussion. We'll have a good time. No, but that's, that's completely right. The amount of people that I speak to that say, oh, I'm just a clinician or I'm just a fun, like an inverted commas, so I don't know much about the technology piece. Whereas that perspective and the, those points of view, those people that are utilising the technology, that's the most important perspective that we need to hear. It's from the, the, the front line, from the people who are looking after patients and the patients themselves in relation to the technology. So let's jump on stage and see what happens. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. My name is Roshan Clarence Fernandez. Uh, I'm from India originally. Uh, I moved over to Australia in 2011. Prior to that, I was in Dubai for almost eight years, yeah. providing IT support. 2011, I came here and uh, I start, joined Avante IT as a systems integrator. I've been, I was there for six years. After that, I moved on to Fire and Rescue, a state-run agency. And yeah. of late, the past two years, I've been working at Western Sydney Local Health District. Yeah, interesting. And so you were on stage speaking about cybersecurity, pretty much opening up the the sessions today. You know, why is this such a particularly important topic for this health-orientated crowd? The main reason is because a cyber event or a cyber incident has a potential to cause harm to a person's life. We have seen that happen in Europe, wherein uh, one hospital in Germany, I believe, was impacted by a cyber incident, and they couldn't tend to that patient, and they had to transport her to another hospital. And unfortunately, the patient passed away en route to the other hospital. That was the first incident where a cyber ransomware incident had a direct impact on a patient. Definitely, it has other repercussions, such as mental health, because if a patient data is exposed you can't change that data unlike a credit card data or a medicare number or a driving license number which you can change your medical history remains with you yeah. forever you can't hide that fact yeah. right so patient health information has more value in the dark web than your credit card information because if you have certain conditions which you don't want anyone to know even your potential employers and if that gets leaked, it has a direct impact in your livelihood. Mm. Right. That's um, such a good point. It, it's so obvious, but something that we take for granted, the fact that that information can't be changed. And to your point as well, the risk is, whilst there's certainly financial and business implications, there are uh, significant health impl- implications for, for data breach as well, really Absolutely. Em- emphasizing the, the importance of all of this. Absolutely. If you Google, uh, Ponymon Institute had done a research on the cost of single medical record uh, mm. it's around it varies from ten dollars to hundred dollars in the dark web now okay. it depends on what type of medical record it is it's really valuable for the hackers or for the cyber criminals because yeah. that's gold yeah right. and so so talk to me about managing cybersecurity within western sydney local health district or any kind of local health district particularly in this current climate of you know, we're, we're much more used to 
care being delivered from outside of the hospital walls and the need to to utilize different networks you know this was touched on a little bit in in the sessions this morning it, is it much more challenging now that the, as as innovation increases also it increases these risks of cybersecurity threats Absolutely, but it can be reduced if you have the foundational controls in place mm. in any organization, access control. You need to identify the person and assure that that's the person who want, is accessing your information using MFA. That's zero trust, right? I'm touching about on zero trust, simplifying it a bit. Like you need to trust the person who's accessing your systems. Mm. You need to trust the network, right? If it's from an external network, make sure you have encryption. Yep. using VPN or through HTTPS. That's another good control. And the third is you don't trust the systems, your laptops or your end-user devices. Yeah. So you can have a very good endpoint protection or EDR solution on those devices. Yeah. Uh, you can also have certificates on those devices, which then confirms that this device belongs to this person or yes. this organization. Yes. Right? And all your services then look at that certificate and then either give you access to the level that you need access to yeah. or don't give you access at all. Yes. So these are the three main controls that you need to put if you want to achieve zero trust, I would say. That's from my understanding of zero trust, but every vendor has their own take on zero trust, hmm. right? So this is basically don't trust a user, don't trust a network, don't trust a system. Then how do you trust? Just put these controls on top. <laughs> nice. That's good advice at a practical and systems level around zero trust. Final thoughts for anyone that's listening to this podcast, bringing it back to keeping safe and secure online, some practical tips or things you can do to ensure your data is secure. I'll touch upon people and organizations, right? Mm. Because cyber only doesn't impact organizations. It impacts your personal life yeah so you might have plenty of devices in your house ensure that they are patched ensure you have mfa for all your sensitive services that like banking or social media anything that has sensitive information or has money involved have an mfa configured yeah patch your systems and back them up as well right so i have a local nas box which i have all my crucial data it's not in the cloud at all mm. Even though the cloud encrypts your data and it's secure, but I'm taking it at a level where I don't want it to be in the cloud. I store it in my network, house network, mm. on an S-Box. That is the most micron jewels, I would say. For organizations, yes, Essentials 8 is a good starting point, right? It gives you the basics of uh, securing your organizations quickly. You can do ISO 27001, that's the next level, or NIST framework or SIS benchmarks, but that will take time and resourcing. But Essentials 8, if you comply with that at least to maturity level 1 or 2, yes. you're good. Got it. Before you go, just a reminder to jump over to our YouTube channel and subscribe and watch some episodes there. There are podcast episodes, summit sessions, and a bunch of other interesting content on our channel. You can just search Talking Health Tech in the YouTube app or click on the link in the show notes of your podcast player and it should just take you straight there. Thank you. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com.